My name is Billy. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Reality Ventura, and we are continuing our series in the book of Ephesians. So um, the sermon today is entitled, Free, Forgiven, and Fully Formed. Free, Forgiven, and Fully Formed. And I'll be reading and teaching primarily from the CSB, which is the Christian Standard Bible. And our verses that we're looking at specifically are chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. But we're going to start by reading, starting from verse 3, so we can uh, really capture the context of our uh, Scripture today. So Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, he says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before Him. And He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He has lavished on us in the Beloved One. Now here's our passage for today. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace that He richly poured out on us with all wisdom and all understanding. Church, this is the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word for your incredible love for us, God, that you would give of yourself to us. And this morning, God, we ask you, I ask you, God, to, to speak, Lord, that you would fill and use this inadequate vessel up here, God, that you would replace my thoughts and my words with yours. God, teach us, grow us, mature us, help us to walk in our identity as kingdom kids. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, as we've been studying in the book of Ephesians, we're just a, a few verses in, but as a Christian, it's, it's, it's incredible how the, what the Apostle Paul is writing here um, is, is so descriptive and so explicit regarding our identity, who we are in Christ. And in this study, I, I've, been, I've been having to stop over and over again and ask, who am I? It's a good question for us as we dive into our passage today. Uh, who are you? Who do you think you are? I, I mean that in a good way, right? It's an important question because who you think you are affects how you dress and how you speak. It affects how you uh, think about yourself. Who you think you are affects the way you see and act toward other people. And who you think you are affects how you see and perceive and respond to God and to truth. So who and what you think you are is a big deal, which is why Paul is, is just drilling down on our identity in Christ here. Uh, a few years ago, I went on a business trip, and I was, uh, I was just, I get, I'm impulsive. I was on this kick, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to read a biography on uh, General George Patton on this trip. And so I couldn't narrow it down. So I bought both of the most highly recommended ones. And I read one on the way there, one on the way home, and I was just blown away. This guy, first of all, he has the best nickname ever. Okay. His nickname is Old Blood and Guts. That's kind of a cool nickname. But as you, I'm sure, probably know, um, 
He led the Third Army during World War II, right, starting right after D-Day, uh, in the push across France. I mean, just kept pushing at a, at a rate and solving problems. Massive uh, tactical problems uh, were solved by him and his, and his people at an incredible pace, keeping the Nazis on their heels and pushing them. It was really a race across France. And then as they crossed the Rhine and into Germany... Uh, it, was, it was billed as the Blitzkrieg in reverse because he, he used the same tactics as the Germans used at the beginning of the war against them, just pushing and rapidly advancing upon them all the way to the end of the war. Patton was a good general. He was also a notorious egomaniac. <laughs> See, he knew he was great, which, which was good for the free world, but he knew he could make others great by being a great leader. He, he knew that about himself. And as a great leader, he spoke passionately as great leaders do. And so uh, between these two books, uh, I just, there's a trove of incredible quotes. I'm going to share a few with you because it, it helps us identify someone who's confident and sure in their identity, what they sound like, what they think like, how they act. And so uh, General George S. Patton, he said this. He said, it's better to fight for something than to live for nothing. He said that a pint of sweat will save a gallon of blood. That's a good one. He said that it's better to accept the challenges of life so that you can feel the exhilaration of victory rather than to stay safe and never matter. Wow. He noticed that wars may be fought with weapons, but they are won by men. And it is the spirit of the men who follow and also of the man who leads that gains the victory. See how, how significant identity is in, in his single-mindedness to do what he was created to do? And then I love this last one because it's just one of those. You could write psychological books forever on this one. He said, lead me or follow me or get out of my way. <laughs> now imagine if, if General Patton was unclear about his identity. What if he vacillated as a great leader? Uh, what if he thought one day that he was a great leader, but the next day he spinelessly, uh, indecisively was unable to actually lead anything? Or, or worse, imagine if he vacillated in his perception of the authority that he had. One day he's like, yes, I, I recognize I, I have what I need in order to lead. And then the other day he's like, gosh, I don't know if I have that authority. I'm going to have to take a couple days to, to double check. No, this guy just drove and drove and drove, operating in the authority that had been given to him. It was important for General Patton to know that he was the general responsible to keep things moving and advancing and driving. He knew he was a great general. He knew he was uniquely gifted to lead men. And he was granted the authority and the resources necessary to function at a high level. Guys, th th this is so analogous to what we have been given, the authority we have been given in Christ as Christians. As General Patton knew that he was a great general, and he did what great generals do. What is it that great generals do? They win battles is what great generals do, right? And they string together enough won battles in order to win a war. Christian, God loves you and has given you an amazing new identity that comes with a profound and significant authority. 
He has taken away your old identity, and he has adopted you into his own family. Picture this, the king, the one with everything. He doesn't share his authority with anybody. The one sovereign king has adopted you into his family as a child. And he has made us a new person in that, fully loved, fully free, fully forgiven, and fully formed. And so that truth stands in stark opposition to the reality that many of us live in. And it's a challenge I believe many of us face is that we don't walk in our identity as God's chosen children, as kingdom kids. We, we, we have a hard time walking in that identity, functioning in that identity. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians so that we would know who we are. He was writing them a letter. He's like, listen, don't forget who you are. And I'm going to write six-chapter letter to you right now, just totally going in detail about what that means theologically and what that looks like practically, church. It is the same exhortation for us to know who we are. What does that mean theologically? How does that change us personally? And what does that look like practically? That's why I'm so stoked that we're going through the book of Ephesians together as a church. Because this knowing who we are, this passionately pursued outcome that the Apostle Paul is desiring, he's he's just unfolding this Christ-focused, identity-forming reality. It is the reality for all of us who are in Christ. It is who we are, present tense, who I am in Christ. So I'm going to reread what I just read. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 6, and we're going to just kind of highlight some of the things that are true about you in Christ, okay? So let's look at this. It says, blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, this is true of you if you're a Christian, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. Is that true of you? Have you been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ? Hopefully more than who are responding have been. Yes, it is if you're in Christ. That is true of you. He continues. He says, For He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. He chose you. Before you had the opportunity to wreck your life and ruin the lives of people around you by making bad decisions, but before you made the bad choices that set you on a course of rebellion or set you on a course of shame early in your life, before you had an opportunity to make even good decisions and be proud of yourself, before the foundations of the earth, God chose you to be holy and blameless. He chose you for a purpose. There's an objective. He's given you a real identity with real authority to achieve a real objective. He continues, it says he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, furthering our identity as children of God. It just speaks to the intimacy, doesn't it, of, of adopting us in as sons, as children. And now we get to our passage today, which continues this idea of Paul just unpacking and unfolding. It, it's like at Christmas time when someone wraps your present like 15 times. You know, it's, it's funny at the time you're wrapping it, but it's never funny when you're unwrapping it. That's what Paul's doing here. He's just like, and another present, you know, and another present. And today, 
It says, in Him we have redemption through His blood. Forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, what he's, he's saying we have redemption through the blood of Jesus. That means that God has purchased our freedom by exchanging the perfect life of Jesus with our life. That means that God has bought us. And see, as sinners, we're not free people. We were not free people before Christ. We needed to be purchased out of slavery. We needed to be rescued. We all long for freedom. Oh, we're created in the image of God. We were created to be free. And so, apart from Christ, on our own, we long to be rescued. We long for freedom. Everyone who's not in Christ is desperately looking for freedom. Now, if you're not in Christ and you're like, how do you know that? You're a pastor. Of course you're going to say that. Listen, I, I know this because that was me for years and years. Searching for freedom. Searching for identity. Before I surrendered my life to Christ, I was desperately looking for freedom in my life. And as morbid and as ironic as it is, even though I was a slave to sin, take one guess at how I would pursue or search for freedom. I would dive headlong into more sin. My my master had such a grip on my life that I thought, well, I'm getting ripped off in this one area, so I'm going to dive in deeper in this one area. I, I, I was being ruled by sin. I had a distinct sense of not belonging. I truly knew that I was alienated from God, and I truly knew that I was alienated from others. I, I, I longed to be accepted by other people. And so I would search for freedom. I would search for belonging. I would search for satisfaction. Again, it's morbid and ironic, and I would do it by diving into more sin. Now, I think this is the common plight of humanity apart from Christ. Our feelings of not belonging cause us to cultivate sin in our heart, right? We, we feel distance from people, and we sense, gosh, they belong. I don't belong. So what do we do when we're not in Christ? We allow bitterness to grow up, don't we? Or jealousy to take root. Or feelings of dissatisfaction in life. They cause us to lust and we'll pursue lust because we feel like, oh, I'm, not getting, I'm not getting any satisfaction here. I'm going to lust after it there. Or when we feel constrained in life, or we feel trapped in life, or the heaviness of life, what do we do? We tend to indulge ourselves because we think that that's where true freedom lives. And we indulge in food, our comfort food, or we indulge in alcohol, or we indulge in sex, or we indulge in pornography. Looking for freedom, looking for release, looking for an escape from slavery. And in all of our desperation, and all of our searching for freedom in life, in our alcohol consumption, in our greedy pursuit of money, in our putting others down in order to promote ourselves, in our sexual liberty that we take, or our hidden pursuits of lust, or in our hidden pursuits of pornography, in all of our searching for freedom, we only and always find ourselves more and more enslaved to sin, don't we? Scripture clearly teaches that sin has real power. In fact, Scripture teaches that sin is a slave master. Sin is a, is a power that enslaves. Jesus said in John chapter 8, he said, Truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. All the way at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 4, we're told that sin is crouching at the door. 
And it's not just crouching at the door, wanting to attack us. What does it say? It's crouching at the door, eager to control you. Sin is a real power. And that's what it does, doesn't it? It controls us. We become not just consumed by, we get controlled by sin. Because sin is this progressive uh, influence or this progressive force in life. It starts small, and then it increases, and then it increases, and then it increases. It's a process. It's like building a brick wall. You have this urge, and so you lay a brick down. But what happens when we lay a brick? It, all it does is reveal the need for another brick, right? I, I love like mowing lawns, especially now that I don't need to mow a lawn anymore. Uh, but that idea of like you just make a nice straight line, and you're like, yes. And you turn around, and you're like, whoop, there, there's more to do. And you know, by the time you're done, you're done. That's kind of how sin is, except for it never stops. You, take a, you go down another line, and you go down another line, or you lay another brick, and it reveals the need for another brick. Sin is this progressive force that keeps us moving. The Apostle James compares this, the, the progression of sin, to pregnancy in James chapter 1. He says, Each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. He's talking about how you know, the, 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 the well of desire within us. But then he says, then after the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. See, sin isn't just some faceless impulse that we experience. We have a real enemy in our battle against sin. There's a real enemy fighting against us, establishing our identity in Christ. Each one of us Each one of us is at war, whether you're fighting the war or not. There is a war over your identity. There's a real battle in the spiritual realm taking place over who you are. That answer to that question I asked at the beginning. Who are you? There's an enemy saying, no, you're not. There's an enemy saying, remember that? There's an enemy saying, hey, you've done this in the past. You do this now. What makes you think so pretentiously about yourself that you might actually change and amount to anything? You're not that. You're this. We have a real enemy. There's a real power behind sin. And the true enemy, the Bible reveals to us, is Satan. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, be sober-minded. Good advice. Be sober-minded. Be alert, he says, for your adversary, your enemy, the devil. He's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. And so here's, here's how he says to resist him. He goes, resist him. Be firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. See, this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to get you to remember that crummy decision that you made when you were a teenager, when you went and did something that you told yourself you would never do, when you gave something away that you promised in your youth group that you were never going to give away, when, when you made a decision to consume something that you were never going to go there, only that kind of a person, or only people that come from that kind of a family do those kinds of things. And you find yourself in that place, and then you are forever confused about who you are because you're basing your identity on a decision that was made in the past. And some of us grew up in youth groups where they told us, if you give yourself away sexually before you're married, you have nothing to offer your husband. Listen, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Don't believe that. God can restore and redeem and give you back what the enemy tries to take from you. You are made brand new creations in Christ Jesus. 
You have been given a new identity. You've been given a new purpose and a new power. We are no longer slaves of sin. Amen? I love in John chapter 10, Jesus talking about Satan doesn't even use his name. He goes, the thief's purpose, right? He's just like the thief, right? The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Just, just laying it out in the open. That's all he does. It's all he wants to do. Steal, kill, and destroy. We get attacked by a real enemy. All of us. And we once, all of us, were enslaved by this enemy. We were all in need of rescue. We needed to be redeemed. And all of us have rebelled against our Creator, and we need to be forgiven. We needed to be bought out of slavery, and we needed to be forgiven for the rebellion that we had engaged in. Now, you might be really good at self-control. You might be one of those people that's like, has a lot of willpower. I've, I've read about you people. I'm growing in that. Anyway, some of you have more self-control than others of us. And, and some of us, if we try really, really, really hard, we might be able to stop doing something that we don't like in our life, right? There's a million self-help books that might encourage you in that way. And, and you might be able to change this behavior or, or perhaps stop that sin, but none of us can break away from the death grip that sin has on our lives. None of us can pursue sinlessness on our own. See, this is the nature, this is, this is the nature of the human experience before Christ, the natural condition of every human apart from Jesus. We're first and foremost slaves to sin. We need to be purchased and set free from our slavery. We are also dead in our sin. We need to be restored to a new life with real power so that we can battle sin. And then the third place we find ourselves apart from Christ is we're, we're lost in our sin. We're like wandering around not knowing how to make a good decision. We're lost in our sin, so we need to be found and accepted and loved. And this is what Paul is so excited about in Ephesians, that God, through Christ, has already accomplished this. It's something that had already happened 2,000 years ago. So we, it's something that is past tense, already happened. It is a completed work. God has completely and fully delivered us from the power of sin. How? By beating Satan at his own game. God's like, all right, that's the game you're playing. He came down to earth. And Jesus was tempted in every way by Satan, in every way, and he remained faithful. And then Jesus completely and fully conquers sin by remaining sinless and offering up his own life as a sacrifice, as a, as a substitution for those of us who are entirely unable to be sinless. And he, and he literally changes places in that moment. And so when Paul's talking about redemption here, this idea of redemption, it simply means that someone comes to a slave owner and just outright buys the slave from the owner. That's what redemption means. Uh, redemption refers to this release from slavery upon receipt of a payment. And now, it's not like God's like looking on Craigslist, like shopping for slaves or anything like that. No, God goes up to us while we are lost in slavery, and he pays top dollar to the slave master that owns us. We're not listed for sale. Satan's not like, yeah, you can buy this one if you want to. No, Satan had to be like subdued and shown to be less than. He had to be put in his place. But God went the full measure, paid the full price. 
completely conquering sin, death, and defeating the devil on the cross. And so God shows up and pays too much cash for you. God came down from heaven to buy us out of slavery and to adopt us as sons and daughters of God. See, the Bible teaches that Jesus paid a ransom for us, that Jesus was our ransom. That means that you're unable to free yourself, all right, in case you didn't know that. If if someone's offering a ransom for someone that they've kidnapped, that means that the person that they have in their possession doesn't have the whatever they're asking for in their pocket. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a ransom. You'd be like, oh, I'm asking a million bucks. You got a million bucks? Cool. See you later, you know? That's... There's a, the fact that there was a ransom means that we can't do anything about it. We don't have what it takes to free ourselves. It means that we're held captive. It means that we're desperate and hopeless. It means that we need to be rescued. And Paul says that he purchased our freedom. And listen to how he did it. This is our passage. It says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son, and he forgives our sins. See, just like God stepped in and delivered Israel over and over and over again, we like Israel have been delivered by God from the tyranny and the desperation of slavery to sin. Now, this idea of redemption, it emphasizes the great price that was paid for us. God paid a high price. God paid top dollar. And there's a reason he paid. There's a reason he overpaid for you. John chapter 8 It says, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. A more familiar translation would be, if if Christ has set you free, you are free indeed, right? See, a great price was paid for you. Why? Because God bought you completely, fully, and, and has set you into a complete and full freedom. He completely bought you so he could set you free. This is the freedom we're given. It's not a sort of free freedom. It isn't some cheap bargain price knockoff of a false freedom. Remember, God redeemed us according to the riches of his grace. God didn't score a bargain when he bought you, okay? God overpaid for you. Now, if I was going to do something according to the riches of my grace, it wouldn't be done very well. It wouldn't last very long. But God, according to the riches of His grace, sends His own Son to live perfectly, die horrifically, in order to pay your ransom price. God paid full price for us. And because He paid full price, God has full ownership in Christ. God paying full price is evidence of His full power, and it's evidence of His full love and His full commitment for us. God is all in, in other words. Now, God chose to purchase you, paid full price for you. That means he has full ownership. That means that you are under new ownership. You're not owned by your previous master. But our new owner, God, he he doesn't buy us out of slavery so that we could be his slaves. The one who redeemed us from slavery actually loves us. And so God redeemed us out of slavery so that he could adopt us and we could be his kids. See, God loves you. God loves us, and he wants us to be free. And so God has given us free will. He has done absolutely everything necessary to save you and bring you to the place of salvation. And he throws you that rope, and he throws you the gifts, and he gives you the opportunity to embrace and receive and rise up into your identity as a child of God. So rich in kindness. God has done everything to set you free. 
And here's the cool part about that. Because such a great price was paid, and because the power of slavery to sin has been broken, listen, don't miss this, we must also know and and walk with assurance that there is no longer any sin that cannot be overcome in our lives. There's no longer any sin that can't be overcome in our lives. There's no bad habit that has power over us anymore in Christ. Amen? There's no addiction that can enslave us any longer in Christ. That, That power has been broken. There's nothing that can hold you captive now that you've been redeemed by God. There is real power in the name of Jesus. There's real authority by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. And then he says, We're no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So, therefore, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. See, we are no longer dead in sin. We are now dead to sin. We're not dead in our sins. We're dead from the power of sin. Sin has no authority in your life as a child of God. Freedom feels so good. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians, he's saying, we praise God for the glorious grace that he has graced us with because we get to experience true freedom, true free will. We are free. And it's not just some past tense experience, right? Paul's not saying, well, this happened in history or this happened when you were saved. He is saying that we, in him, we have. And in the Greek right there, it's this progressive uh, present tense. He's saying, right now, you're walking in and you have, and your identity is in the redemption that Jesus has done on the cross. There's this past tense event that affects your present tense reality. There's a past tense truth about who you were And this past tense truth about what God has done to save you, that completely changes your present tense and your future tense reality. That Jesus Christ, having done something in the past, now completely changes you now and forevermore. You are no longer a slave to sin. Sin had real power over us as our master. But God, as Paul would say over and over again in Ephesians, but God intervenes and redeems us at a high price. See, but it wasn't just the power of sin. It wasn't just that we were slaves to sin. That's not the only thing Paul's talking about here that that God needed to deal with. Certainly, we needed to be set free. And so God redeems us. There's this other area that Paul is talking about here, which is the penalty of sin. He he says, you have been redeemed and forgiven. That the, the power of sin over you has been broken, but the penalty of sin has also been dealt with. How? By Jesus Christ on the cross. He's dealt with the authority and the power of sin, which is real in our lives before Christ. And he has dealt with the penalty of sin, which is real in the life of a person. The penalty of sin is real. And we all know that because sin creates a real burden. It's a massive cultural burden right now. It's a burden for the person who's walking in sin and living their life in sin, for sure. I remember that. Those seasons of my life were a huge bummer. Horrible, broken relationships. It was awful. But it's not just a burden for the sinner. It's also a burden for the loved ones and friends and people around the sinner. As you're watching this person kind of spiral, laying the bricks of a sinful life. 
And then, of course, it's a massive burden for the people who are sinned against by this person, the people who are, who are being uh, ripped off or cheated against or lied to or whatever. And we know this is true because for us, it's not easy to just get over, quickly get over it when someone sins against us. There's a real burden associated with, with our sin. And Paul says that God has given us the forgiveness of our trespasses. How? According to the riches of his grace. He's, he has forgiven us according to his riches and grace. Listen, God doesn't forgive you the way that I might forgive you. If I said, look, I'm going to forgive you according to my riches, you'd just be like, you don't have anything, right? What do you, ha- what do you have? There's, there's nothing on the line. God's like, I have everything and am everything. I am love. <laughs> I might have love. God is love. It's according to his riches and grace that he forgives us. In the book of Jeremiah, God tells us this. He says, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will never again remember their sin. Some of you might need to, might need to read that again. This is what God promises in Christ. He says, I will forgive their iniquity, and I never again remember their sin. God's never going to remember it. He's not going to associate you with what you've done, in other words. He's not going to associate you with your lowest points in life. God has completely forgiven you. Not the way I would, but the way he can. That's forgiveness. God only, not only loves us, not only has chosen us, not only has adopted us into his family, purchasing us out of slavery to sin, Not only has he lavished his kindness on us and forgiven us, but the last part of our passage today tells us that he has given us wisdom and understanding. Wisdom and understanding. And he does this so that we might live well. See, in grace, as we walk by grace, and as we receive the grace of God, what grace does is grace helps us realize that when we sin and we are forgiven and that that we are secure with God, Grace gives us that security and that assurance. It reveals to us our utter sinfulness and helps us respond to God. That is God's grace. Now, wisdom is different. In wisdom, we realize that our freedom is not for ourselves, but rather that we might live to the glory of God. So God gives us wisdom. So we might be able to look at a situation and say like, okay, that's Billy's road, which is going to take a hard left at some point, I know. And this is God's road, which is going to bring God ultimate glory. Wisdom gives us the ability to see that and to take steps down the wise road. And so what wisdom reveals to us is our foolishness, reveals our foolishness and our selfishness. But there's not just wisdom. There's also this, it's a completely separate word in the Greek. It's a completely separate thought, this idea of understanding. He's given us wisdom and understanding. And in understanding, we discover discernment. We discover how to discern, how to live our lives for God's glory in every way. And so in the small junctures in life, and in, in, in just kind of the, maybe the tenor of a relationship or a conversation, we're, we're able to like, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to God because God might give us discernment in the moment, might give us a word in a moment. And so understanding reveals our recklessness, how we tend to live very recklessly and selfishly apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So God gives us grace and wisdom and understanding. And they are necessary for us to live lives that are pleasing to God, and they are also gifts from God that we are given. Now, they're given to us 
Because God not only wants us to be saved, right? God's not just like, okay, high five at the point of salvation. Okay, thanks for coming forward and praying for someone and getting a free Bible. Now go sit back down and see you in heaven, right? It's not just like, okay, you're saved. God wants us to be healthy. God wants us to be whole. He wants to do a, a deep work of restoring us, restoring joy, restoring hope, restoring identity. He has higher goals for us. Not, not that we only experience this theological, positional holiness with God, where it's like when life's trials hit, we can close our eyes and go, okay, in Christ, I'm a new creation. I've been saved. And that's good that we have that positional holiness. But God also wants to work within us a practical holiness, a, a holiness that, that changes the way I think and respond. It changes my anger. It changes my jealousy. It, it changes my uh, feelings of, of less than. It changes me from feeling dirty to feeling clean in Christ. He renews my store, my soul. He restores my soul. So God gives us wisdom and understanding. And the Bible says he lavishes it on us. Now, when we speak of lavish, we're, we're speaking of excess. To lavish something on someone is to just shower it on them, to have way more than enough, right? It's like when my little Shem, who's three and just adorable, comes up to me with his little Sunday and he wants whipped cream on it. I'm just like, you know, just like this massive thing. And then he opens his mouth and it's just on his face and he's just lavishing and he just loves it and it's fun. And in that moment, I've just lavished him with something, something fun, something special. That's what God has done for us. He's lavished us. Listen, with wisdom and understanding, seriously? Like, come on, God. God has given you everything you need, the Bible tells us, for a life of wisdom and godliness as you pursue Him. God has given you everything you need. And so God gives us this wisdom and understanding in three primary ways, because I, I, I need to see a list. So here's my list. <laughs> God's wisdom is given to us, first of all, in Scripture, the Word of God. God has done this by giving us His Word. And so we give ourselves to reading of Scripture. We read it. We embrace it. We memorize it. We let it go in and rattle around and come out so it can go in through our ears. We, we meditate upon it. The Word of God is our life. It's our water source. It's our nutrients. It's our wisdom. It's the only thing we have to hold on to when everything in life around us disappears, when relationships fracture, when the people that we put our hope in abandon us. The Word of God is like an anchor. The second thing that God has given us is prayer and worship, which is His identity, His, his presence. And he's given us access to himself. And so we pursue his presence in prayer and in worship, being with God, listening to God, speaking to God, worshiping God, exalting God. And the third way God gives us wisdom is in community, in the family of God. This is the church. God has given us one another. And so we make time to gather in community as a family. And that's a good thing because we've been made, we've been made brand new in Christ. And so, we have been made brand new. We're no longer slaves to sin, the Apostle Paul tells us. We're free from sin. We're no longer guilty of our sins in Christ. We are forgiven. We are no longer unable to make good and wise choices in life. We have been given all wisdom and understanding, Paul tells us. 
And see, God's wisdom and understanding matures us. It, it grows us. And so here's the thing, Christian. You are fully formed by God in Christ. You weren't taken out of the oven too soon, right? It's, it's not like, well, I, I never really had the brains to begin with. It has nothing to do with your brains. Like, where do you even get that idea? God said before the foundations of the earth, he chose you in Christ to be holy. And he's given you wisdom and understanding. It has nothing to do with your brains. It has to do with his love and his grace in choosing you. Right? And so stop thinking that you're less than. Stop thinking that you're not smart enough to figure it out. Nobody's smart enough to figure it out. The people that say they're smart enough to figure it out, they're worse off than you are. A prideful heart standing before God like that? We're no longer slaves. And so go back to our question I started off with. Who are you? Who do you think you are? Christian is God's very own children. This is who you are in Christ. I believe we all need to hear this today. First of all, you are free. You're free. In Christ, you are free. Amen. Let your identity form around that idea and upon that foundation. Here's the second thing that's true of you, according to our passage today. You are forgiven. Remember that one thing? That one thing that your enemy keeps reminding you of? Listen, you've been forgiven of that. Tell him to just shut up. Just get out of here. There's, there's no space for that voice in your head. Like, who's that, right? God, God like, so defeated Satan, it's, it's absurd. You're just like, get out of here, you little idiot. Get out of my ear. Get out of my head. Get out of my relationship with my wife. Get out of my vocabulary with my children. Get out, of, get out of my insensitive tone with my spouse. Get out of my annoying habits. Please. You're forgiven. And here's the third thing. Christian, you are fully formed. You are fully formed. God didn't pass you over. God didn't withhold something. He's not like a stingy grandparent that's like, oh my gosh, he gave my sister two lollipops and only me one, you know? That's not how God works. God's like, here's a bag of lollipops with whipped cream on top. He's given you everything. <laughs> We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. See, it sounds great, perhaps, like, like God's given you a bunch of presents on Christmas and you get to sit in the corner and just unwrap them. And you know, it's, it's not like that, though. It's not that trite. Listen, there's a reason in this. Paul, all throughout here, he's reminding us that there's a purpose. There's a reason, and it's not for you. God has given you gifts so that you might boldly walk as his kingdom kid. Now, that is an awesome blessing for you, and yes, it is a tremendous blessing for you. But God has placed you in your house or in your home, around the people you live with, with your roommates or your neighbors, the people across the street, with your children, your spouse, whomever, for a reason. God has placed you in your school or your occupation or in your routine, just your daily routine of life. He's set you there for a reason. God has led you to shop at Trader Joe's or Vons or or Smart and Fine or wherever it is you shop, Costco probably, whatever, for a reason. That you go into the bank you go into for a reason. God has given you the desire to skate or surf or backpack or ride dirt bikes or all the other things that other normal people do for a reason. And here are the reasons. First of all, so you can be saved and walk in freedom and enjoy Jesus now and forever. That we get to enjoy Jesus in this life. And so we live with tremendous joy. 
Second reason is so that you can show the world what God's love does to broken people. God wants to show the people in your world, the people that he is purposefully, as it says in Acts 17, which is a a bit of a rabbit trail, but Paul says that God has established the boundary of your habitation, actually telling you that you, you live where you do, when you do, for a reason and a purpose. It's not a mistake. And God wants to show the people in your sphere of influence, the people in your world, what his love does to a broken human. And so we live with people, and we live in front of people. And we're not, we're not like perfect people that have to like worry about saying the right thing every single time. We just do life with people. And when we mess up, we go to God for forgiveness, and we go to one another for forgiveness. We experience the highs and the lows in Christ together for the glory of God. God has put you here for a reason. With all wisdom, with all knowledge, God is wanting to save people. And God chooses to demonstrate his love through his free and his forgiven and his fully formed kingdom kids. That's you. God chooses to save people through us. And so here's the challenge. I challenge you today to know who you are. Know who you are. Just like General Patton had to know who he was to achieve the objectives that, that, that were set before him in his life. Know who you are. The second thing I would challenge you with is know what you are. What are you? I'm a child of God. That's, that's not just some theoretical thing that some guy was yelling at me, tell, told me on Sunday. That, that's, that's what I am. That, that forms and shapes the decisions I make in life. The third thing I challenge you today with is to know why you are. Why are you in that relationship? Why are you in that job that you hate? Why are you going to that school? Why has God put that passion in your life? See, God loves you and has done everything necessary to bring you to himself. God has done everything necessary to save you and forgive you and mature you in Christ. And I'm going to invite the worship team to come up now. And as we respond to this, as we ask God to to, to stir up, us up a response within us. Maybe there are some areas where you're not walking in freedom. Maybe, maybe there's some, some old habits uh, that, that the enslaved you had that, that you're still allowing to be a part of your life. And God wants to deal with those today. Maybe you're not walking in freedom. Or maybe you're not walking in forgiveness. Maybe there's some things that are true about you or about your past or maybe there's some things that are true about uh, the, the things that you, you sometimes think about or desire in your heart that you're, you just feel like, ah, I can't be real about this. Or I don't know how to be real about this. Listen, God wants you to walk as a forgiven person. You, you don't have a death sentence over your head. You have the hand of a pleased father on your back. You, you have the, the robe of approval by your dad. And today, ask God to take the death sentence off of your head. You are forgiven in Christ. And maybe there's some areas of immaturity in your life where you're not walking in in wisdom and understanding. Maybe God would would reveal those to you as you ask the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus promised the Holy Spirit would do, right? Convince us of the righteousness of Christ and the coming judgment and convict the world of sin. And so we ask God for these things. Receive the gift of freedom from slavery today. Let God purchase your freedom again. Experience that by coming up and having communion. Remember the price that was paid. Respond to this gift by confessing sin as the Holy Spirit reveals it. Evict it out of your life. 
Tell that voice in your head to shut up and be gone in Jesus' name. And then rest as a child, as a son or as a daughter. Rest in the love of God. Rest as a child of God. Amen? Father, we thank you again for your word. Thank you, God, for this incredible identity that we have in Christ. Lord, that you, before the foundation of the earth, chose us. God, and that you chose to go the full measure that it was, was required in order to purchase us out of our slavery to sin. Thank you, God, that those of us whom Christ has set free, we are free indeed. And today, Lord, I ask you to bring us into that, the fullness of that freedom. Say we love you, Lord. Help us, God, to, to stand up into, to rise up into our sonship, our daughtership in Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.